All right. Welcome back, folks, to the Bibliotheques podcast. My co-host Cody and I are continuing our journey to the heart of the American dream in Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Cody, how are you after reading the first half of this part two? I'm not going to lie, man. I spend a lot of time in my own head computing ways to explain to cops all the horrible shit I'm doing. Oh, my gosh. So much of this part of the book is exactly that. It's like intense paranoia to to the degree that like, and we talked about this at the end of the, of the last episode, but I just want to reemphasize, I get actually anxious reading this book. Like I feel the panic and part of me wants to just put this thing down and go like take a breather halfway through because it is seriously a stressful read. Right. Like this book makes you like cherish your sobriety. <laughs> no better way of putting it. Yes. Where you're like, we're, we're like this level of drug abuse in no way sounds fun. And actually the fact that I am just like clear headed in my house, just hanging out. And I don't feel any of these terrible symptoms, especially ones in this coming chapters. It's just a blessing, really. It truly, it truly, truly is. And, you know, there are plenty of examples in, I'm sure, other books, plenty of movies, TV shows, where substance abuse is, like, glorified, and it's it's like elevated to this level. It's put on this pedestal where, like, you consuming the content almost want to take part in it. Mm -hmm. This is the exact opposite of it, where it's telling this story that is so it feels so viscerally true to the actual experience to the point where, like, like you said, I'm cherishing my sobriety. I want no part of this. Yeah, this is close. This story is closer to like a train spotting or a requiem for a dream than it is to like a Project X or even like a like Wolf of Wall Street, because at least that does have the lesson at the end, like this stuff will destroy your life. But for a lot of it, it's like, doesn't this look fun? Yeah, exactly. This is this is like from the jump, like bad, not fun, actually terrible. Yeah. So without further ado, I think let's just get right into it. Last week. We left off with our main character, Raul Duke, fleeing Vegas after getting word from Gonzo, his attorney, that they had been invited to attend the National District Attorney's Convention on Narcotics and Drug Abuse in Las Vegas. So Duke has decided in our last episode that the best thing for him to do while he's paranoid and thinks he's running from the highway patrol and plenty of, I'm assuming Vegas thugs who are going to break his kneecaps for splitting without paying his hotel bill. The best thing for him to do is to go back to Vegas because that is the place they would least expect him to go. So that's where we pick up in chapter one this week, which is untitled, and it's a short one, but it starts with Duke pulled over on the freeway on his way back to Vegas, still in the giant red shark Chevy convertible, and he's shooting Gonzo's gun just into the desert, wanting to, as he says, kill poisonous iguanas. Like, this guy's out of his mind, okay? He's pulled over on the side of the road, and all he wants to do is kill some lizards. All right. So while he's doing this, he's thinking of the ramifications of being caught shooting a gun on a federal highway and what would result in that. Basically, a cop saying, hey, um, don't shoot on a freeway. That is a federal crime. Also. Let's check out what you've got in the car and expose a plethora of illegal substances. So 
like Cody said at the top of this episode, a lot of what's going on in Raul Duke's head throughout this section is like, wouldn't it be shitty if I got caught doing all of this stuff? Right. And I'm even going to read a quote of what he says. Like, he's aware of how bad all this is. Quote, would they buy this? No, they would lock me up in some hellhole of a jail and beat me on the kidneys with big branches, causing me to piss blood for years to come. <laughs> yeah. Which also oh, foreshadows his opinion of the police for the coming set of chapters. Right. Okay, at this point, we do a quick inventory of what kind of drugs we've got left in the car. And a lot of them have either been used or are damaged. And so Duke, on his way back, stops at this drugstore and buys a bunch of booze, some more ether. And at the same time, he's tempted to ask for like nitrous oxide and like a bunch of other drugs. And he's thinking to himself while at the cash register talking to the cashier, this guy is most motivated by free enterprise and by making money. So he has no reason to look at me, clearly a degenerate, and think I shouldn't be selling this guy these drugs. Yeah, soaked in sweat, visibly high. Yes. On his way out of this drugstore, he steals a magazine and reads just the first article, which is all about this guy who has had eye surgery after overdosing on, what was it, like animal? PCP. Yeah, PCP, and like there was some mention of animal tranquilizer, and having overdosed on this has pulled out his own eyeballs. And so the doctor's in this surgery room have like tried to reconstruct his eyes. And that's how the chapter ends with this story. Yeah. And also the doctor's note is like really undersells it. Like, yeah, he may never be able to detect light again. That's all sight is (laughs) the kids is going to be blind. Yes. Right. And in his drug paranoia, he's just like, yeah, I'm not going to read another one of those articles that kind of freaked me out. Right. Right. Yeah. Just get back in the car and go to Vegas to do whatever you're about to do, bro. Right. So chapter two titled another day, another convertible ellipses and another hotel full of cops. So he parks the shark in a utility lot next to like some air force buses. Cause again, it's like the last place they'll expect it. (laughs) Just, just deranged thinking. And he goes to the bar in the airport to wait for, um, his lawyer Gonzo, and he's like, I, I specifically ordered Bloody Marys for the nutritional value in the V8, which is again just absolute degenerate thinking. So he goes to the like the whatever the 1970s Vegas equivalent of the Hertz rental car is and swaps out the uh red convertible for the white convertible. And he uses a car that at the time he didn't know was canceled, but is a really funny thought about what happens when like they call the credit card company to like check his file and the credit card lady's like, all right, let me just see what's the number. Oh no. Oh no. This man is yeah, what's an the, absolute red line credit risk. What's the and matter, uh, ma'am? <laughs> um, it, it, it appears that, it, that this card isn't going to work, but I swear to God, this baseball player said it's all cool. Yeah. Raul Duke, like, third baseman for the Cleveland Indians or whatever his like person was like, like you didn't sell him the car. Did you like, Oh yeah. Fully insured. <laughs> 25 ready to bucks roll. a day, baby. Yep. And 25 cents on the mile. So he's ready to rock. So yeah, he bails. He's like, God, that's hilarious. He makes it to the Flamingo and he has to stand. And the Flamingo is basically the less nice of the two hotels that the cop convention has, the DA convention. It's like the Dunes, which is like the super classic, really nice one. And the Flamingo, which is like not as nice, but honestly a better place to like lay low for them. And he's behind this like one like police chief from some Bohunk town in Michigan who's like having an absolute Karen fit that like this reservation of his isn't like available. And like, he's got some like BS postcard that says like, this is basically like a receipt that I paid for my room. And the poor like bellhop guy is like, no, <laughs> like there's no room under that name. And then meanwhile, and like, and like the cop buddies that he's with are like, you know, they want to like 
be tough for this guy, but it's getting like increasingly clear that this guy actually just didn't purchase a room and is trying to like save face. So Raul just like interrupts and he's like, Hey, I don't mean to like be a dick, but I do have a room. It's under like a Dr. Gonzo. Like, can I go up to my room or is there nothing left? And they're like, Oh no, we have a room for you. He's like, great. Can you park? Like, they go park that big white convertible out front. That's mine. And they're like, certainly sir. Right away, sir. And he just looks at the, and again, he is like, these are like the cops for the cop conventions. They're like a bunch of sober dorky dads. And they're just looking at him. He's like, looks like he was in a convertible for two and a half hours in the sun, soaking wet sunglasses on indoors just looks bad. And he's just like, later boys. <laughs> and just, be- and like at the same time, like relishes the opportunity to just blow up this cop's BS plan. And like, and he has a little thing about like, yeah, nothing's better than making a cop follow the rules. Cause they're always the ones that bust you when you don't want to follow the rules. So it's great when they have to, too. Absolutely. <laughs> One thing I just wanted to call out because we have a, not a a running segment on this show, but it's a theme that pops up from time to time, which is just bad doctor. And Cody mentioned in chapter one that Raul is like sweating profusely. And in this chapter, Raul mentions, it's like a short little thing, but mentions that at one point he went to a doctor to be like, hey, man, what gives with all this sweat all the time? And the doctor's right. like, all right, well, what, like, do you use drugs? Like, what's your alcohol intake? And when Raul tells him all of the substances that he, like, abuses, the doctor basically just says, all right, well, then the only thing we can do is wait until you stop sweating. Then we know that you have a problem. Because it basically means that your body has either lost the ability or just given up trying to expel some of these toxins through your skin. Right. He is in a constant state of fucked up that his (laughs) and, and also living in Southern California, that his body is just pouring sweat all the time because there's like, get it out of me, Get, get it out of me. Yes. Yeah. Especially because he's doing like psychedelics a lot of times or like narcotics where like, it's not like it's like, he's like just drinking where he can throw things up. Like the body's like, I just need to expel this, mm-hmm. get it out of me. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a rare good doctor. The bad doctor is the one that sold him the ether and booze <laughs> looking at that state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that gets us pretty much right into chapter three titled Savage Lucy teeth like baseballs eyes like jellied fire okay cody i'm gonna ask for your help on this one because if i am completely honest part of what i was excited about getting into this like crazier part of the story into part two was just that that it would get crazier however this chapter takes us down a very dark road that is like ironically very sobering okay so let's just level set with that Mm -hmm. and go into this chapter keeping that in mind yeah not a very funny couple of chapters inbound no so duke plans basically on just like hanging out in his hotel room and he describes the flamingo as basically a playboy club in the middle of the desert so gives you a little bit of an idea of like the type of establishment that we're at He's also like thinking at this point, okay, the Mint 400 was an observer event. This conference is going to require participation, whatever that means. If it means that like he's got to sit in a conference hall with a bunch of cops, maybe if it's like, okay, I'm at a narcotics event, better do as many drugs as possible. (laughs) Basically, what part of this participation means to Duke is like our place here is to represent the other side of drug culture because the police, the guys who are going after all of the, you know, drug abusers or junkies as they call them a lot in these coming chapters, it's 
their place to like offset that and be the junkie represent the junkie community at this convention yeah it's pretty pretty nuts okay so here we go duke gets to his room opens the door which hits this woman like on the other side of the door and immediately duke's like oh fuck this is a hundred percent my room and gonzo is already up to some bullshit so lucy her name is very scantily clad and is described as having the face of a pit bull is twisted like clearly on drugs and apparently doesn't like duke at like first sight so he goes into the room and in this suite finds gonzo standing buck naked in the bathroom door Lucy apparently is like looking at Duke ready to just throw hands. She's like ready for violence. And so Duke is like reaching for his can of mace that appeared a few chapters ago. And Gonzo also fucked up at the time manages to like cool everyone down and ends up kind of like changing the subject of like this weird tense encounter to be like hey duke good to see you glad you made it glad you met lucy my friend here did you happen to notice all of these portraits set up around our room now these portraits are described as all being the exact same face but i don't know cody if you felt this way kind of like shittily drawn yeah bad like not great And also drawn at various stages of intoxication. Yes. So all of these portraits are of Barbara Streisand. They're assembled around the room, and this artwork has been done by Lucy. We learned that she is kind of like this Jesus freak from Montana that Gonzo met on the plane and then ended up bringing her to the room. And like, We don't have a ton of information yet, but Duke is clearly suspecting some fucked up shit went down. So Duke and Gonzo end up leaving the room to go get their bags from the convertible that's been brought around to their suite. And on the way down, we learn that Gonzo, like I said, met Lucy on this plane ride and gave her acid. Now, being kind of like this... Jesus freak like pretty religious person and like a young girl she like isn't super experienced with this kind of stuff and so is tripping balls and she's in Vegas to give her portraits to Barbara Streisand here is where the shit gets really fucked up because Duke is like kind of fucking with Gonzo in a sense And telling him like, hey, it's a good thing that you brought this Lucy girl with you because we can put her up in a motel and essentially use her as a prostitute for all of the cops at this convention and make a lot of money. Now, I don't think that Raul is like serious about this, but he's clearly trying to get a reaction out of Gonzo which he does. And Gonzo is not pleased with this idea and is like, basically just shocked that Duke would even suggest such a thing. I took this as because of the next, basically because of Raul's opinion about Lucy for the rest of this section, which is that her presence is a danger to both of them. I read this as him being like, basically like purposely presenting a bad idea because that's what the cops are going to think they're doing when they when she eventually comes down from this acid high and reports them mm-hmm. he's like you got to stop saying all that stuff he goes oh you know who's not going to stop saying all that stuff lucy when the acid that you gave her for the first time in her life comes down and she doesn't want to be in this situation anymore and who are the two guys with their literal dicks in their hands like us like that's going to be us He's like, do you think this is a good idea and he's just like oh no this is actually a terrible idea and we're all like yeah so now you've settled this with us. So now I'm going to fix it. He explains that like she needs to go, right? Having her with them could land them both in jail. And like the only way he gets him to like 
buy into this is like, oh yeah, also one she does betray us, obviously. Your law license is bye-bye forever. I just want to add, after Duke gives Gonzo this whole like come to Jesus moment about how fucked up it is that he got them in this situation, Gonzo just goes, shit, it doesn't pay to help anyone these days. Dude, you are out of your fucking mind. Meanwhile, Lucy is tripping balls, drawing another crazy fucked up portrait of Streisand. And this is where we get the chapter name of teeth like baseballs, eyes like jellied fire, because that is how Raul or the narrator here describes this portrait of Barbara Streisand. And we also learn that Streisand is not due in Vegas for another three weeks. So like this poor girl has been drugged, brought back to this guy's room, probably raped, and she's just hanging out, tripping balls, drawing Barbara Streisand, who is not due in town for another three weeks. Like, it's so fucked up. From there, they decide on basically getting rid of Lucy. And there's this weird... (laughs) There's this weird comment. It's just internal monologue again from from Raul contemplating Darwin's theory of survival of the fittest and being like, I wonder if there's any room in that theory for LSD. Basically saying, Lucy seems like a tough girl. She can probably handle herself, but like she's tripping balls right now. So in this theory, how do you account for a drug like this? But what they end up doing is they make a reservation for Lucy at the Americana, another hotel, and then they drive back to the airport and drop her off and pay a cab driver to bring her back to the Americana and make sure she checks in. Then, as is becoming very frequent in this story, the next step is just to do a bunch of mescaline and head back to the hotel for rum and a swim. It's like, all right, problem solved. Let's get fucked up and just go on our way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. There's not really a ton to like add other than like the emphasis that like Paul and I were not really approving of anything in the first half. And this one we really want to emphasize is messed up and it's not good. And there's not a lot of fun to be had in this couple set of chapters. No. And the... I'll say more about this at the end of this, at the end of this episode. But part of what my struggle was, especially in this part, where, like I said, it becomes more dark than kind of whimsical, is I'm having an impossible time rooting for our main characters. And when that when that is the issue in a story, it adds to that level of anxiety and panic that they're already experiencing because for part for one you're like really brought into this story you're meant to feel everything that they are but the whole time you're also thinking to yourself i kind of want these guys to get caught mhm and especially for what they're doing in this chapter they definitely should And so it's this weird thing where like I'm reading this and left with like just kind of this pit in my stomach, you know, it's like this is so fucked up and I am kind of strapped to these guys for the remainder of the story. Yeah, you're forced to share their paranoia where you're like, at what point is the jig up for these guys? Like where you're looking over their shoulder with them where you're like, is that it? Is that the cops? Are they there to finally bust these guys? Right. Yeah. Well put, Paul. Um, chapter four, no refuge for degenerates, ellipses, reflections on a murderous junkie. So they get back to the hotel, as Paul said, for rum and a swim before getting like seafood or whatever. Uh, and they get inside and there's a and the red light on the phone is blinking, which means that there's a message at the front desk. Thank you for explaining that, because um, I have never seen a rotary phone before and I would not. That would have blown over me. I would not have understood that <laughs> reference. So. Yeah. So Raul calls it 
a couple things. One, uh, yada, yada room service. And, uh, also a Lucy at the Americana called for him. Yeah. Room 1600. Yeah. Uh, she wants the, uh, them to give him a call. And, uh, he's like, what? Okay. Bye. Hangs up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this is just really bad. Um, they were really counting on her to have like blacked out on the LSD and just not remembered anything, but it turns out she's fine and is actively looking for them. Not good. Especially because she referenced for by name, which is not what he wants. So he, he decides like, I have to go. Like, I just have to leave. And he just packs up and the whole time, another internal, like what's going to happen when the cops find out what is the world where I get arrested for like accomplice to drugging and assaulting a young vulnerable girl who really likes Jesus. Like that's literally like what jury isn't going to put me in the gas chamber. That's it's, it's a really short chapter. There's it's like three pages and that's pretty much it. And the whole time you're just stuck in this paranoid hole. You know, the, the only like couple things that I would add just in, in terms of just a little color in this chapter is like, the clerk who Duke talks to mm-hmm. about like to get the messages on his machine is under the assumption that Gonzo and Duke are cops because mm. they are in town for the narcotics convention. That's right. Yeah. And Duke assures this clerk that like the woman that called she was really upset because she's their like ongoing case study. Mm. And clearly Mm -hmm. this like really upset the clerk and Gonzo's reaction to this is like, he's psyched basically. Cause he's like, Oh great. The clerk isn't going to bug us now because he thinks we're cops and there's a disturbed girl trying to contact us. So he's going to steer clear of whatever mess this is. So Gonzo, once again, is just like total tunnel visioned. And he's honestly like a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so there's that going on. The only like the only other thing that I would add is in one of these other internal monologues from Raul, he asks himself, who is the hero of this story? And I read this line and I'm just thinking to myself, how much is Hunter S. Thompson asking the reader to be asking the same question? It's a lot of what I was saying at the end of the last chapter, which is like, how much am I supposed to be rooting for these guys? Because right now I don't want to at all. Like Mm -hmm. they, to me, seem like total pieces of shit who are just out there for their own pleasure and are going to leave just a wake of destruction and definitely trauma behind them you know right that line is supposed to force the reader to rest to wrestle with the subhead of the entire book like a savage trip to the heart of the american dream as expressed by hunter s thompson in this book the american dream is getting yours at any cost and that's you know what by the letter of that they're doing that right now even if it comes at the expense of a young girl who has no business being in this situation. Right. They're living it. And it's like, it's like, so it it forces the reader to ask the question like, Oh, if that's the American dream, do I want to partake in that? Right. Yep. Well, well said, well said, Cody. Chapter five is titled a terrible experience with extremely dangerous drugs. You don't say, yeah, that's a little redundant, Hunter, my guy. I mean, dude. I mean, like, I get it. I get it. Like, yeah. I also get it, but like, you could have just left this chapter untitled if that's what you were going to go with. Right, yeah. Why don't you just title this book, Fear and Loathing, or title this chapter, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, A Savage Trip to the Heart of the American Dream. <laughs> right. So, okay. So, okay. God damn it. So, this chapter... This chapter opens with Duke ready to leave Gonzo. And Gonzo finally says, he's like, all right, all right, all right. Don't go anywhere. I will call Lucy at the Americana 
and clear everything up. So he does just that. And on this phone call, he tells Lucy a few things. Now, we are reading this from the perspective of Raul. So all he hears is what Gonzo was saying on the phone. But what he says is he beat the shit out of Duke in the desert. So neither of them will have to worry about him anymore. Now, this was part of an explanation before where like Gonzo explains the only way he got Lucy to stay at the airport was by telling her that he and Raul had some like beef and they were going out into the middle of the desert to basically like fight each other over Lucy and that only one of them would emerge from this contest and that one of them would end up like contacting Lucy once this whole beef was settled. So Gonzo says that he beats the shit out of Duke in the desert. They won't have to worry about him anymore. However, he says that Duke cashed a bad check downstairs in the lobby of the hotel and named Lucy as a reference. So the cops will likely be looking for both Lucy and Raul. And so one, Lucy should get out of town and she shouldn't call this hotel again because it's likely that they're tracing this call. He tells her, I'm moving hotels to the Tropicana and ends basically with like, and yes, Lucy, of course, we can go to Circus Circus whenever you'd like to see the polar bear show. Okay, so, and then basically the way this phone call ends is Gonzo acting like somebody is barging into their room to arrest him. And he's like doing that thing where he's like fake yelling into the phone, slamming it up against the wall, acting like he's being arrested and saying like away from the receiver, like, oh, Lucy's long gone. She's well on her way back to Montana and then hangs up the phone. And then Gonzo again just goes right back to watching TV. Like nothing's wrong. Like no problem whatsoever. Like, all right, well, that's settled. Now, Raul, you're saying saying here, right? Because we just solved our Lucy problem, so you're good to stay. I'm going to start watching TV. Also, there is adrenochrome I brought. You should definitely take some of it. Now, what this is, is a chemical compound produced by the oxidation of adrenaline. And it said that the only way to get this stuff is from the uh, adrenaline glands from a living human body. That's how you get this like substance. So Raul takes like a dab off a match, like takes a match and dips it in this bottle and just like takes a lick of this match basically. And while he's doing this, we learn that Gonzo got this from a client of his who is, I'm not going to go into detail, but incredibly seedy. And Gonzo is like talking now about how he took this super powerful drug at some point and thought he was going to die. Meanwhile, Duke is sitting on the hotel bed listening to the story and is out of his mind high, like super impatient, grabbing at like the hotel bed spread and like, Gonzo, finish the story, finish the story, get to the good part. What happened? What happened? Until finally the full strength of the drug hits him and he goes into total paralysis, can't move, freaking out that he won't be able to breathe, thinks he's going to die. Then we transition to midnight now and Duke is finally able to walk and talk, but his brain is absolute scrambies. Like can't focus on a single thought, he says, for more than two to three seconds. But they start to discuss like, all right, what are we going to do for dinner? Duke is insistent that they get out of the hotel. There's this dumb idea floated that, hey, we should go to Reno, which is 400 miles away for dinner. And the reason that they decide not to do that is because it's, quote, army territory and they wouldn't survive the tear gas. What the fuck is going on here? (laughs) So... Instead, they settle on this restaurant within Vegas where they see some really fucked up shit go down. And I just, they see a man get beaten within like an inch of his life. Like he's beaten half to death. 
right outside this restaurant. And the response from Gonzo, again, sociopath move, is just, wow, the action in this town never stops. Then they drive back to the hotel, watch a horror movie, and we get an update that Duke hasn't slept in 80 hours. Yeah, the whole point of this, like, I'm going to go back to the hotel room was to, like, catch some Z's. Because at that time, he had, hadn't been asleep in 60 hours. I don't know how they're going to... I don't know how they're getting out of this. It's it's so bad. That adrenochrome stuff is insane. Like, And also, the way he gets it, Gonzo gets it from a client, it's very clear that Gonzo accepts drugs, weapons, favors, who knows, from his clients in lieu of cash payment. Yep. Like, he's like, I will defend you of a crime. Do you have two acid blotters? Right. <laughs> yeah. Insanity. Sketchball McGee. Right. One more thing on that chapter. I thought it was really great because like we were joking about earlier, like, oh, a terrible experience with very dangerous drugs. But that one was a terrible experience with very dangerous drugs. Yeah. And it's it's made worse by the fact that like as Raul is feeling like he's going to die on this adrenochrome, all he's hearing about is stories from Gonzo having like almost OD'd. And like losing the ability to move and see for three days. All right. Chapter six, getting down to business, dot, 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 opening day at the drug convention. Super short chapter to close out today's episode. The first thing we learn about this actual DA narcotics cop convention is that the wiring sucks in the speakers. (laughs) He's like, he's like, look, man, I'm not saying I'm no AV expert, but I've seen like, hippies hot wire speakers that can make like an acid fiend 30 miles away hear some rolling stones perfectly clear and these guys have like you know shaky echoes where like and it's and the speakers are set up so badly that like the person who's presenting is so far away where like you almost look at the speaker nearest to you as opposed to the presenter now all the cops have no idea how drugs work (laughs) like everyone there is so clearly either a a cop who's never done a drug in their life or like a b tier medicine hack like dude our running bad doctor joke these guys like dudes who are like you know an anesthesiologist who because he is licensed to control extremely powerful granted anesthetics for surgery he is somehow like written like five books on drug culture in the u.s and like this is what it does to your kids and the whole time hunter's just like no 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 like oh weed makes you like a psychotic killer like okay so like cody if you would allow me i'd love to read a little bit of please, this. please so the hack doctor in questions named dr bloomquist And so this is a direct quote from the book. Dr. Bloomquist's book is a compendium of state bullshit. On page 49, he explains the, quote, four states of being in the cannabis society. Cool, groovy, hip, and square in that descending order. The square is seldom, if ever, cool, says Bloomquist. He is not with it. That is, he doesn't know what's happening but if he manages to figure it out, he moves up a notch to hip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, this is a dude that clearly has no idea what he's talking about. This is a dude that, like, the, like, it's so funny because everyone there is, like, trying to, like, actually be better at their jobs of stopping the drug trade. And, like, he, like, the Raul mentions to himself, like, a lot of them are most likely undercover narcotics police and if this is the shit that they're being fed no wonder that drugs are so rampant in the 60s and 70s because they're not stopping shit like they're gonna be a group of like people suspected of selling weed and one of these buffoons is gonna come up and be like hey fellas i'm not square i understand what's going on that makes me hip and they're like you're a fucking cop bro Get out of here. <laughs> Dr. Bloomquist has undercover cop blood on his hands, dude. <laughs> he does, he's going to get someone killed. Yeah. These guys have families. <laughs> no doubt. 
<laughs> so Dr. Bloomquist re- resides resign, in the square. My guy. He, he resides in the square category of his own making. Y- yes. In this, in this like this like social matrix he's constructed, where like saying it out loud to anyone who's the subject of it would immediately expose you. Right. It is so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's also like, it also doesn't help that like every cop in this convention looks exactly the same. <laughs> They're like slightly thick, extremely short hair, white, ugly faces, wearing like plaid shorts, white socks into dress shoes and like a ill-fitting short sleeve button down shirt. They just like every single person here just like reeks of cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's and they're all going to learn a bunch of bullshit, then go back to their towns and like just execute all this training. Gonzo actually, for as insane as he's been, this thing actually has like a little bit of thing where he's like, I don't even know if I can be in the same room as these people, which is the first intelligent thing he said, because they are still very high. Yeah. They are still very, very high, running on fumes. Because they watched like a horror movie at midnight when they got back. Like, what are these guys doing? Mm-hmm. And, but basically, they've also the chapter ends with a note that says that they've lied about why they're there. Like Gonzo is a drug consumption expert. Har. <laughs> he certainly is. And and uh <laughs> Raul is a private investigator and like after he gives you sounds like which is in a way both true. Yeah. Like like Gonzo famously analyzes every drug he's ever been presented and Raul does work for a private company to investigate things. So that like that's when we learned they've actually completely BS'd the pretext to even be there cuz that's like what it says on the stickers that they printed out for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which they paid for. Like they had to pay for registration at this event, which basically gets them their name tag to like get in. They paid for it with a bad check that Gonzo just like has from one of his sleazeball clients. He's like, yeah, I would not cash that. Yeah, <laughs> don't even, don't even try. <laughs> don't even try to cash it. But Gonzo's also like, it was actually an enormous mistake for me to come here because I'm a criminal defense attorney in like cop paradise. Yeah, he's like, if anyone recognizes me here, we are blown to smithereens. Right, right, and and on top of that, it's like part of part of Gonzo's kind of paranoia is that the. It's a very diverse group of people in just like, like you can tell that there are undercover cops who look a certain way. There are police chiefs who look a certain way. And there are like these middle of the country rural cops who Gonzo's like not a fan of. But Gonzo is rolling into this place in a pinstripe suit and stands out like a sore thumb and like is just drawing more attention to himself. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hunter S. Thompson, Raul is like dressing like a Madras button down in shorts. Yeah. Also dressed like, again, a total asshole. <laughs> Both these guys. Oh my God. See the previous episode of Bibliotheques to hear me describe about how I've been there, my dude. Yes. Ugh. But that's where the chapter ends. And that's where our section ends for today with our guys just like deep in the thick of it and realizing maybe this wasn't super smart. Yeah. The irony, though, of the whole thing, especially with this chapter, is it's just really it's funny to me that two of the most qualified people to be presenting at this conference are the two most fucked up drug abusers in attendance. Like, why why wouldn't this conference go after somebody who's actually had experience taking any of these drugs? Like, they're right there. Just get them up in front of everybody. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Okay, so this section definitely went down kind of a darker road. And I'm... I don't know, Cody. Do you think we're going to like get any more of Lucy in this story? Or do you think that kind of part of it, like much of these different, you know, kind of uh, isolated episodes are just kind of left behind? You know, it's so funny because like my instincts say they're going to move on from it. But at the same time, 
even like contemplating, you know, different plot items where she comes back. At what point will she come back? In what state will she come back? In what mood will she come back? It just makes me want to take a shower, dude. Like, I don't even want to try and hypothesize. I'll just take it as it comes. Right. I agree. And either way, I think it um, it makes sense for the story. Because if she does come back, then we have more issues, right, for the characters to deal with. And if she doesn't, then it follows along with a lot of the themes of this book, which is, again, just kind of like, break shit and move on you know so exactly we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens there um not a fun not a fun section to read however i will say this that excluded which was a big section of this of our the middle for today. the middle four chapters yeah it, if you could exclude that a lot of the rest of this had some of the same kind of like you know, it, it had a lot of the same feel as our chapters before, where like there is a lot of funny moments, a lot of funny writing, and a lot of really interesting kind of deeper, you know, kind of contemplative thought from Raul. Yeah, you know, the last chapter for all its like hilarity that we talked about was really more of the thing like like kind of a commentary on like police, you know, enforcing drug laws in the US where it's like none of these guys know what they're talking about. Right. And it's not necessarily their fault. Like they're there to learn. And the people selling them things are absolute like crackpots. Mm. They're hacks. Like it's not necessarily like the cop who's like doesn't like to do drugs or potentially drink or anything like that. They go there because like I need to learn what it's like when people are under the influence of drugs. So that if I run into this person, I cannot die on the job. And he's like, and like the people that are like peddling them shit that they want to hear are lying to them. Mm-hmm. And it's like putting people in jail and it's like costing people lives. Like that's why Hunter S. Thompson's like, this is like, this is state bullshit. This is bad. <laughs> like what I'm doing isn't good, but if they knew what they were looking for, they'd find the biggest drug abuser. They'd find two of the biggest drug abusers in the world at their conference. If they knew what they were looking for, but they don't. Do you, so that's, that's interesting. Cause that's something that Raul has in his inner monologue kind of thought about in previous chapters where some of what he's thinking is like, we're fighting in Vietnam right now. Soldiers Mm -hmm. are overdosing. People are murderers out there. How bad is it that I'm doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Do you think in any way Hunter S Thompson is trying to say something similar by basically saying the people in charge, the authorities are woefully unprepared to deal with this and the way that they are dealing with this is hackish and putting people in danger so they are as much to blame for this problem as the people abusing these substances yeah i think i think he definitely is it's is more a thing like because again these guys are begging to get caught they are morons dude Mm -hmm. he's basically like if you guys knew how to do your jobs you would have put me in a like las vegas jail cell days ago but you don't so you haven't yeah. And, he's like, and then because that, I'm going to get away with it. I'm just going to keep going until someone stops me. Right. Do you, one of my other kind of thoughts in reading this, and I don't want to excuse blame from Raul in any of this because he's his own person. He can make his own decisions. He's an adult. But do you think that he would be involved to this extent or be doing the amount of drugs he's doing if Gonzo was not there. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Because he does when he's when he's not around, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yep. Because he's still he's still doing a ton of drugs. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he provides his own historical evidence, I guess, <laughs> to suggest yeah, that he doesn't like, need Gonzo there to make bad choices. I mean, he kind of describes like a permanent state of getting fucked up back to like him talking to his doctor. Yeah. And the doctor is like, dude, is this what you do like every day? Like you should be, you should be like looking like you just got out of the pool every time you enter the sun. Like, <laughs> Right. Oh my gosh. I will say as my closing remarks for this section, it entirely drained me of energy. <laughs> yeah. I had to go to bed. It was like 930. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just done reading this. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I need a fucking nap right now. Totally. And like you said, Cody, in desperate need of a shower. Oh, so bad, dude. Well, next week, we will be wrapping this book, finishing oh, we'll up. Be free of it. Oh my God. 
finishing up the remaining chapters in part two of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I think we can agree that our downer of the episode was the middle three chapters. Do you want to hit the listener with an upper before we go? My upper of this week. Slim Pickens. To be honest with you, yeah. Like the downer is super easy. We've discussed it at length. My upper, honestly, was just the um <laughs> was the meeting or basically just Duke standing behind the cop in line at the hotel. Yeah, that was really funny. Because that was a moment where it's like it's actually divorced from all of the drug use entirely. Like it, I mean, he's obviously fucked up while he's doing it and it's crazy, but it's not about that, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. one of these like respites from the craziness. And it's just a funny kind of universally felt moment where you're, you're standing behind somebody in line, a Karen, as we say, where you're just like, you don't deserve to get what you want right now because you're being an asshole. And the kind of justice of cutting in front of them and like basically just smirking at them as you walk away with your own suite in Vegas is Oh yeah, just, just crack a lizard grin. Yeah. <laughs> what what's your upper, Cody? Uh for the sake of variety, I think just the whole like hack doctor at the convention just spewing nonsense. I I had fun reading that where he's just like this dude is so full of shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love I just love that. Uh, like <laughs> just the idea that Duke and Gonzo are they have PhDs in drug abuse. Like they, yeah. they should be giving a full conference seminar <laughs> at this thing. I am, my name is Raul Duke and I am a professional drug addict yes okay please uh shoot us an email with any thoughts comments questions uh and follow us on instagram at bibliotakes pod we uh we'd love to hear from you guys so um so send us a note we will be back next week with more fear and loathing in las vegas see you guys then 